Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. We're so glad you're able to join us today. And um, I'm going to bring the panelists in a moment. I am Drew DeGrotto, your host. I'm in Honesdale, Pennsylvania. And um, if you're coming in using the Zoom app, we invite you to use the chat box or the Q&A box to te text in your questions or comments to, to us as we're going through the program. If you're coming in on the Facebook page, on Scott's Facebook page, please be sure to use the comment box there. So I'm going to bring uh, our panelists in. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Stephen. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Drew. How are you? I'm doing good. But you know, I asked you to put your, your, your sign up there while we're waiting to come in because it said Bible online Bible studies. But I noticed it said May. We have not. I need to update that. Uh, we have an October one up now, but I haven't put it in Zoom yet. I forgot yeah. about that. Yeah, that, we'll see if we can do that one. And uh, Jonathan, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. It's good to see you guys. Good to see you too. And our program director, Scott Smeltzer. Scott, how are you doing? I'm doing well. It looks like you're sitting out there on a nice, comfortable porch with the windows open and door open. Is it nice over there? Yes, it is. The beautiful outside. That's lovely outside. Okay, we're going to get right into the meat of this discussion. It has something to do with speaking and tongues, but it's not speaking in tongues. <laughs> so, <laughs> Jonathan, what are we talking about? Speaking tongues and all of this kind of thing that I'm talking about. Yeah, so um, so we're going to be in James. So uh, if you, the audience following along, you want to go to James chapter three, we're just going to work through this text really quickly uh, at the beginning. Um, but James is a really, really cool book. Um, it's super short, really practical, I think really easy to understand, makes some really good points for day-to-day -day life. And he spends a huge section in James chapter three talking about the dangers of using your tongue, speech, your words, and how those can be really, really detrimental if you're not careful uh, about what you use them for. So I'm just going to read through the text, and then we'll go through and talk about it really quickly, and then move to a point earlier that James makes uh, and start making some practical observations. So in uh, James chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large, they are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed, and has been tamed by mankind. But no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives and uh, grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So he just works through that whole section, and, and he starts off saying, you need to be careful what you say. 
um, because you're going to be judged by the words with which you speak. And he specifically zeroes in on teachers because teachers are the ones that are explaining the will of God, explaining the gospel, and they're going to be judged for what they're teaching other people uh, and, and the direction that they're leading. And then makes the simple observation because we all stumble in our speech. Um, and he makes a couple of really good, I think, uh, visual examples of how powerful the tongue is. What's the first kind of thing that he starts doing here? I don't know, but I didn't talk about the power. I'm sorry, the, the title of the program today, but you just said it, the power of the tongue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The first example James uses is that of horses, which are these big, powerful animals, and we direct them and use their strength to our advantage by putting a bit in their mouth, which I'm assuming the horses probably don't like very much. It sounds very uncomfortable, but um, you're able to direct this whole animal by a small piece of metal put in its mouth strategically so that you can direct it. And that's like the tongue. It's not big, but it has a lot of power. Yeah. Yeah. And the same kind of thing with a ship, right? The ship is massive, but it's got a little rudder at the back, that little piece of wood or maybe metal. I don't know exactly what it's made out of now on modern ships, but whatever direction that's in, it influences the way that the ship is going. Um, and, and like the tongue is just like that. The direction of our speech in our lives really influences the direction that our life is going to go and the lives of others that are around us that hear it. Uh, and so he compares it also to a forest fire. Um, forest fires don't start off as forest fires. They start off as right. little sparks, little tiny, you know, things, a lightning strike or something like that. Um, and then look at the mass destruction that comes from a forest fire. And the same, can, same thing can happen in, in general conversations. Then he talks more and kind of moves from there at how, you know, it's a small member, but it can lead to huge, great destruction. Um, what are some of the ways that he describes the tongue starting in like verse six? He says, uh, it's uh, set um, among, it's a world of unrighteousness. Um, it's set on fire by hell, it stains the whole body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, um, it, it's intamable. Um, it's, uh, or untamable. I don't know what the proper word for that is. It's my grammar is showing. Um, but it, yeah, we've, we've tamed, mankind has tamed every kind of animal, beast, bird, reptile, sea creature, all kinds of things. And that's really interesting to think about. Like, um, I don't know, I, I'm sure everyone is familiar with like, uh, with SeaWorld. This is one of the more amazing things to me that you've got like killer whales at SeaWorld that have been trained to do very specific things and really incredible things. And like, those are massive creatures yet no man can tame the tongue. Um, it, it's, you compare that, like we're able to tame this massive animal but can't tame the tongue in our day-to-day -day speech. And so it's described as a restless evil full of deadly poison. Sometimes it produces good things, but other times, if we're not careful, it also produces cursings. Um, from the same mouth comes blessings and cursings. And James's response to that is that's not how it should be. It, it, it should be contained, it should be controlled. Um, and so talking about all the dangers of the tongue, James earlier in the book really kind of answers the question, or at least one way of how to solve this problem of this restless evil full of deadly poison. Back in James chapter one and verse 19, he, he makes a really, really simple point that we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about. He says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Um, that just solves all kinds of problems. If you're quick to hear, slow to speak, 
and slow to get angry. And so what we want to do with the rest of the program, and we're just kind of do like a roundtable discussion with the panelists and, and from our audience members, if you guys have any verses or, or comments or things about that uh, as well, we're going to go to kind of the uh, uh, what I like to think of as the Old Testament version of James. There are a lot of similarities with James and Proverbs, little nuggets of wisdom um, that are shown uh, in both of those books. And Proverbs has a lot to say uh, about our speech and how uh, in day-to-day -day life, how we should uh, be thinking about how we're speaking with others um, in our conversations. Drew, go ahead. We don't want to stifle anyone speaking on the program though. So you had invited people to text in and I want to go so far as saying last week we had our first call in. We'd like to have you also use your computer audio. So just raise your hand, use the hand button, a little icon if you want to be brought in on your, on your audio to comment or contribute to, to the discussion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, so what are some proverbs, some different principles and some ideas that you guys um, know that you wanna talk about, about our speech and how to go about talking with others? Uh, Scott, you're muted. Thanks. I've got some verses here on the same point as in James 1.19. And so I'm gonna call them out and if different people will volunteer to read, have, get turned to those and read those. So on this principle of, slow to speak, quick to hear. Um, if somebody can have Proverbs 10, 19, if somebody can have Proverbs 15, 28, if somebody can have Proverbs 17, 28, and somebody have Proverbs 18, verse 13. So let's start with Proverbs 10, verse 19. So Proverbs 10.19 says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. How many times have we been talking and we're talking a lot and then we're saying things and we're talking and then we end up realizing I shouldn't have said that? Yeah, pretty often. Too many times. Uh, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28. Yeah, I got that one. Proverbs 15, 28. The heart of a righteous of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. And pondering how to answer can take some time. Uh, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 28. I got that one, Scott, but I wanted to start with 27 because it ties it together, right? It says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. Wow. That reminds me also, of, I think it was Abraham Lincoln who said what? Um, something about fools and silence. Anybody remember what Lincoln said? I don't know if it was Lincoln or not. The, the quotes get attributed to lots of different people, but better to be thought a fool than to open one's mouth, than to open one's mouth and remove all doubt. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's it. And then uh, chapter 18, verse 13. I've got that. 18.13 says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. And tied to that is verse 17, right there in the same context. The, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. 
Oh yeah. And those go well together. Uh, yeah. As uh, you need to not give an answer before you hear both sides, a person and their neighbor, uh, explaining a situation because it's easy to give an answer too quickly until you hear all the perspectives. I won't go into the details, but I remember when I vividly learned that lesson years ago in South Carolina. <laughs> and I heard one person's side of the story. And then <laughs> I went with it. And my words were strong. <laughs> but my ideas were wrong. I should have listened first. Uh, and somebody now tie this back into James 119. When we're quick to hear and slow to speak, that gives us time to listen to all the different points of view that may need to be considered. It also gives us time to ponder how to answer, as the Proverbs have said. And it allows us time to seek wisdom from God and prayer, which is something else that James 1 talks about, is if you lack wisdom, pray about it. God gives generously and without reproach. And I find myself doing that many times feeling very inadequate. How am I going to say the right thing in this situation? And um, prayer is a great comfort. I <laughs> think God answers prayer. He helps us when we uh, reach out to him. And uh, Proverbs is a great source of wisdom in this department, for sure. I want to I share something, too, here. This is a side I wasn't planning on talking about this, but I, I'd like to share it. Uh, sometimes we think, oh, I need to say something. I need to say something. And sometimes we do. Too often, people are cowards and they don't speak up for what's right when they know what's right, but it's just cowardice. But I'm talking about situations where you don't know what to say, like you're at a hospital, you're at an emergency room, someone's getting bad news, someone's passed away, and, and we sit there and we, we don't know what to say. And sometimes we think, well, I need to say something. And I'd just like to share for a couple minutes uh, sometimes it's just better to just be there instead of thinking you have to say something. Job's friends, when did they mess up? When they said something? After the period yeah. of mourning. <laughs> yeah. When they went and sat there with him, might that have been some comfort to Job? Yeah. Yeah. But when they decided to start trying, yeah. So years ago, good friend, uh, child had died, uh, very young age, a few days after birth, was talking with someone else. And the person's response was, oh, I know how you feel. Our dog died. Oh, no. It, it, you don't use some quality control. Um, so the two quick stories I want to share. One is uh, when my daughter was in the hospital and we did not know what was going on. And I was afraid it could be something much worse than it was. And the doctors don't know and I don't know and, and she doesn't know. And I'm scared, but I'm being there for her and I'm not wanting to talk to her about how scared I am. And a friend came, a Christian friend came and was there for me at the hospital. I still don't remember what he said. But I remember that he was there because I got to go out in the hallway and there was an ear and I got to talk to him. 
and I got to tell him that I was scared and he was there for me and he was listening and it wasn't and, and I learned a lesson that day I don't have to go in there and have the words to fix things my, my words aren't going to fix things sometimes just being there and the last story I'll share is a friend was uh, uh had a child that was dying and the grandmother the parents were upstairs with the child the grandmother was sitting down in the foyer area and a sister came from church and just sat down by the grandmother didn't say anything just sat with her toward the end of the day she got up to go and uh the grandmother asked her if you could if she could come back again tomorrow mm. so there are times that we need to say something there are times that being there and being able to listen is is more important. Mm, very good. And Thanks. the wisdom to know the difference. Yeah. <laughs> that, is the, that is the key. I find myself just being afraid a lot. What am I going to say? What am I going to say? I feel the need to say something. But as you just illustrated so well, many times the best thing is to not say anything at all. And there's other times where the worst thing we can do is say nothing at all and sit on our hands and not speak up. Uh, and the, the thing that scripture is encouraging us to do is to have wisdom. Um, Cause again, Proverbs will talk about, you know, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. But then as we've already read, he restrains his lips is wise. You know, the fool gives full vent to his spirit. And so the, the wisdom comes in knowing the difference and, most of the time I learn what's wise about a second or two after I say something that I'm like, that was not it. That, that was not the thing I should have done. You're quicker than me. I'm usually two or three minutes. after. <laughs> <laughs> there are times. Here's, like that here's, here's maybe a good rule of thumb. Actions speak louder than words, but actions don't always convey information people need. So if I have information people need, if I have information to stop evil from being done, if I have information, that's the time to speak. Other times, if I don't have the information, maybe just let my actions speak. Yeah, and, and um, another thing to notice, I think, about um, our speech and different conversations we can get into, it, a lot of times it's really easy to keep, be kind of frozen and just not know what to say, but sometimes there's just this outpouring, and it's like, um, uh, like we need to be able to control ourselves. There's a proverb that I really love in Proverbs um, 19, verse or uh, 29, excuse me, Proverbs 29, 11. It says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Um, sometimes um, there's a very strong temptation to just unleash a fury <laughs> on someone. Something happens, um, maybe somebody wrongs you, maybe somebody doesn't wrong you, and just something inconvenient happens or whatever. Uh, it's like the stereotypical person that someone cuts them off on the road and they start screaming. <laughs> um, you know, it better to just not say anything. <laughs> just just wait until you can cool down, until you can calm down. I really appreciated this about um, my parents um, because they, my parents implemented this into their discipline of my brother and I. 
Um, sometimes my brother and I, uh, probably more often than not, would do something really stupid and deserving of punishment. And it would make my dad angry. Um, and he would tell us, you need to go away right now, go to your room, wait, think about what you did. And I need to calm down too. And then when I'm calm, then we'll talk about it. And then you'll receive your punishment. And I really appreciate that about my dad, not just coming in anger and disciplining me, but thinking about it, calming down, examining everything and then coming uh, instead of just kind of giving full vent to his spirit uh, and that kind of thing. A lot of problems. There's a lot of destruction that happens whenever it's just uh, pure, not filtered words coming out straight from our brain uh, out into the open because you can't take your words back. Once you say something, it's there. Um, and there are a lot of really, really destructive things that can be said. Um, I was uh, talking to my wife, TJ, um, uh, kind of hypothetically about this. She was asking me if there was um, anything that she could say to me that would just totally break me, like, like that I could never really recover from because she didn't want to say that in a moment of when we were fighting. Um, and I was thinking about it for a little bit. And really, there's not a lot there's not a lot of things that I could think of, but one thing is like the absolute types of language that shows up whenever you're angry. So if, if we were in an argument or a fight and she said, you know what? I never, ever even loved you. Like, like all the things that we've been through, that was all fake because like, I'm just so angry with you right now. I don't, I've never loved you. That kind of absolute language, that would be really hard to get over <laughs> in the future. And so like, Maybe she might feel that in the moment, but if she waited a little bit, she's going to realize, no, that's not true. Uh, of course, I loved him. That's why I married him kind of thing. But oftentimes, our anger and our emotions just get in the way. And if we just pour them all out, um, there's some really hard things to get over in future relationships. We've got a comment uh, from Pat, and this goes back to James 3.1 and has to do with the teaching thing. And I'm going to make a tie-in and then read his comment. Tying in with some of the things that have just been said. In teaching, sometimes we don't need to talk. Uh, somebody has a question and we don't know the answer. And we decide to just off the cuff, well, that would be, and make up an answer. How likely is that going to be a well-studied and accurate response? Not nothing, not good at all. Yeah. And so what's what's much better when you're studying with somebody and they say, well, what about this? Or I was reading this verse over there. And what does that mean? If you don't know, what might you say? Well, if you say, well, I've be honest, I don't know. Yeah. I, I'd have to find that out. Let me look into it. Give me some time. Yeah. Uh, and, and if you've got time right there in the study, you might say, well, let's let's read if if it's a chapter you haven't looked closely at, well, let's read through the chapter and, and see, or other times it's the nature of a question. You know, you've seen it before, you're not sure what it means and you just don't know yet. So I, Drew's answer is good. You know, I don't know, give me some time. And, and people will appreciate that. I remember one time somebody asked a question and I said, I don't know. And they said, that's the first time I ever heard a preacher say he didn't know. <laughs> And I guarantee it wasn't the first time they were talking to a preacher. <laughs> uh, but with that in mind, uh, Pat's comment, James 3.1, and somebody read that for us so everybody will be able to tie in together, and then I'll read his comment. 
you want us to read the comment James, or you're going to read James 3 1 sure. says uh, not many of you should become teachers my brothers for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness and so Pat's observation is that verse is probably not discouraging quality men from being teachers second Timothy 2 2 things I teach you teach others so that they can teach others but those who are sorry but those not qualified because they don't study enough to prepare to teach properly. Mm. Good observation. And I just say, I don't know where in the conversation to put this, but um, in our digital age, it's just important to recognize that not all of our words come from our tongue, but many of our words come through our fingers as we are typing messages or dictating messages, however you get your texts or Facebook posts or Instagram posts out, but to recognize that written communication, digital or otherwise, is very powerful as well. It, God chose to reveal his word to us through the written word. And what's sobering about our digital age and Facebook and other social media platforms is that you're, when you say something, it's easy to forget it. Uh, or, or kind of, you know, like sometimes it's hard to forget it, but like the words are in the air and then they're no longer being heard over and over. But when you type something and put it in writing, you can come back over and over and over and there, there it is. Um, and that's a sobering thing when you're thinking about also being a teacher, tying in with Pat's comment and James's comment, James 3.1. You're saying things that people are going to take in and many people are going to say that's true this teacher said it i'm inclined to believe it but when you're writing things as a teacher or you're posting something on social media we need to think very carefully about how people are gonna take that because it's even harder to understand it's easy even easier to be misunderstood when it's not verbal and you don't have the voice inflection or the same context of uh what's going on and so even more wisdom is needed in our digital age to be able to say things that it's very easy to be misunderstood. We need to think very hard and ponder how to respond when we're, and, and many times actually Brandon and I will have a thing where if, if there's a sensitive message that's needing to be sent digitally, Brandon will say, don't, don't read it to me. Let me just read it because I'll read it to her with the inflection that I want it to have. But if she reads it without that context, she'll kind of be able to tell better how it's going to come across to somebody. And she's much better at picking up on those things than I am. And so I'm very grateful for her help in uh, helping us to think about what we say before we say it. That's a really good idea. I remember when emails first started being popular and people were having trouble because they were used to being able to talk to each other and you're hearing inflection, you're seeing facial expressions, and now it's just words. And people's feelings were getting hurt and people were getting angry and misunderstood because somebody wrote it one way, but it got read a different way. And that, of course, still happens. Yeah, it just requires even, even more wisdom and, and time. That's the other thing is sometimes we're behind a keyboard and there's not that face-to-face we can be a lot more bold sometimes with our insults or 
saying hurtful things and not think as much about it because we don't have the courage to say, say it to my face, you know? Um, and so we just have to really like Jonathan read in Proverbs, you know, uh, don't give full vent to our spirit, especially when you're behind a keyboard, because you really may say some things or type some things you regret. That's worth talking about. Um, the, 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 behind the keyboard, there's a lot of people that get really bold and brave and rude and aggressive and they're not that way in person why maybe because it's harder for people to contradict them when you've just got a keyboard and you can keep typing you don't necessarily have to respond to every every objection they have less of they have less of a filter too because they have this false sense of security that no one really can see them and what they're saying. It adds an extra barrier in between you and the person that you're arguing with. Right. Um, like it, it, in a way you're kind of protected. It's like, well, if they do respond at all, I don't have to respond back. <laughs> so I can say whatever I want without any repercussions. Yeah, and on Facebook, if, if they argue back with you or they start pointing you wrong, you can block them. Mm. They can't see your next post and they can't respond. And, and on, on so, social media, if you've destroyed your influence in one area of social media, you can go to a different one or you can be anonymous. Think how many flaming comments that you'll see after a news article are from anonymous names. So that they can sit there. And so I think cowardice plays into it. Uh, people who would not be willing to say that to your face, but hiding behind a keyboard and hiding behind a little, you know, anonymous name or cartoon, they can be bold. And I, it's twice in the last couple of years, I've had a conversation on, on some things about our, our nation and, and, and different things. And a young man would take issue with it and had with saying some things that didn't make a whole lot of sense but in one i didn't want to just shame him in front of everybody and i asked can we discuss this offline wouldn't do it wouldn't do it he kept arguing online but wouldn't talk offline wouldn't mm -hmm. talk offline another fellow offered can we talk he said sure i appreciate it and we got to have a face-to-face -face thing and i got to hear his side and understand where he was coming from and he got to hear me and we had you know a, a good conversation uh, and I, I so much appreciated that somebody willing to talk instead of hiding behind a keyboard. I'll just say that with this particular year, we're probably getting a lot more used to electronic communication oh, rather than face-to-face -face communication because there, there have been risks associated with that. And, but just to encourage anytime you can have a, you know, a safe face-to-face -face conversation, that is so much better than texting, email, uh, even Zoom. I mean, here we are, okay, we're doing this broadcast over Zoom. We're grateful for that. We're in different places, able to do this together. But there's just not a, uh, a real substitute for sitting down with someone face-to-face. -face. I think John wrote that at the end of one of, uh, sec second, second or third John, wasn't it? There's many things I wanna write to you, but I'd rather just say it face-to-face. -face. Um, yeah, here it is, uh, second John 12. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. 
And there's just wisdom there as well to know, you know, I'm not going to do this over the phone or I'm not going to do this over an email. I'm going to talk with them in person. And that, that can help and go a long way to making communication effective. You're, you're muted, Scott. That can go a long way in making communication ineffective. <laughs> Even with Zoom, where we can see each other, and like we've got a system where you know we do our little finger up so that we can see each other in that type of thing. Have y'all noticed that if you're dealing with difficult things, it's still so much better in person, face to face? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I will say uh, this year. I mean, maybe we've gotten more used to it, but for me, I've craved more <laughs> in-person things. Like once you're stuck doing everything over zoom you're like i just want to talk with people face to face like it's just there's so much you miss there's so much that you don't i mean so much of communication is nonverbal. you know we're talking about the power of the tongue but it really extends to all of us as we are communicating by our presence by our demeanor by our tone of voice uh, we want to be people who are communicating give, giving grace to those who hear as ephesians 4 will say yeah, I want to add to what you're saying, Stephen. Um, face to face, when people were still wearing masks, is a hindrance. Yeah. You know, not what I'm preaching. I'm saying it. This year, I can't. I don't get the feedback. There's, I can't see the facial expressions when I'm speaking. Mm -hmm. All you see is that right above the eyes, and that they could be smiling, and you don't know, or they could be, you know, whatever. And I find that to be a distraction that I can't communicate. And I think that's what you're relating to, Stephen, right? This face-to-face. -face. I don't know why my video is not working, speaking of face-to-face. -face. Did my video still not go on? Yeah, right. it's going on. Yeah. I'm, I'm watching the broadcast on Facebook, and it's going on. Oh, that's okay. Cool. Okay. Hey, you're, on, you're on right now. I, think. I can see you right now. Oh, okay. I'm in the, all right. Doesn't matter. Um, anyways, that, so that when you were saying that face to face, I missed that icon. Well, I see the icon, but I don't see the facial expressions. There, there's one eye contact, but i still can understand even with the mask. It's this one. <laughs> yeah, <that's right>. <laughs> <laughs> when they are asleep, that is hard to mask. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no pun intended or pun intended <laughs> I th yeah it, it worked out nicely it did, it did. in a couple of minutes i want to turn to something else about the tongue and teaching it has to do with the power of questions but first i want to come back to uh, jonathan and see if there's any more things he wants to pull out either from james or from proverbs or wrapping up or establishing or explaining or, or adding to any of the things we've talked about so far jonathan yeah, well, just one more um, a proverb that's, I think, really well known. Um, and even if you didn't know where it is in Proverbs, you probably heard it in Proverbs 15.1. Um, a soft answer turns away wrath, um, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That, that, I think, is such a helpful principle because a lot of conflict that happens in speech happens whenever you disagree with someone. And there are plenty of disagreements that don't need to get out of hand and become problems. You can have a disagreement and still have a good relationship with someone. And that's a real problem, especially in our country right now. It's like, if you don't agree with me, I hate you. And that's not how it has to be. Um, you can have a decent discussion and a good relationship with someone who has a basic disagreement with you. Now, there are some things that are sinful that need to be dealt with, and that's in a different category. But if it's not a sinful you know, thing, 
you can disagree or have a different way of going about something and have a good relationship. But where that can get out of hand really quickly, I think, is in how you go about reprimanding someone that doesn't agree with you. Um, if somebody disagrees with you and you just start attacking them and, and attacking their point of view and being really aggressive, that's not going to get you anywhere, which kind of gets into um, what Scott's going to talk about here in just a second of dealing with disagreements and talking with people. But I think that's just a really helpful thing to realize. And like you think about that in in your life, um, like who are who are people that you really respect the most? Are they people who are constantly really like, you know, uh, abrasive and aggressive and imposing themselves on other people? Or are they the more gentle kind of, you know, gracious people that are more kind of soft-spoken and really, you know, easy to talk to and let, willing to let other people speak to them as well? Well, clearly, obviously, it's the second kind of person. Nobody appreciates a conversation with someone who's going to scream and yell and be aggressive with them. Nobody likes that. Um, and so it, we would just all do better to be like that, which can also translate in some ways in the harsh ways that we communicate with each other online. Um, just, you know, being more gentle and kind to people solves a lot of issues. Which is the, the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you're having a disagreement with someone, how do you want them to conduct themselves during the conversation? Uh, somebody once said that the definition of an argument, I don't mean a logic argument, I mean an argument, argument, is two people talking and nobody listening. Uh, for instance, uh, the first presidential debate was not an example of great communication. Uh, so I want to talk about one of the ways that Jesus talked. And so I'm going to ask you guys to think of some examples where Jesus taught using questions, uh, because it's, it's very valuable to use questions when we're teaching. Why, before we get into the biblical examples, why is it often more effective to ask a question than make a statement? Well, it's better because if you're in a conversation with someone that clearly disagrees with you, they already know that they disagree with you. And so if you're just stating more and more what your side is, they're going to have that, that kind of um, that stage in their mind where they think I already disagree with what this person thinks anyway, and their ears are already closed. But if you change it around to where they have to start talking, now they're the one that's going to be put in a situation where they have to support their own point of view while also answering a logical question. Yeah. Um, so. and, and you're not just giving them the opportunity to keep saying their falsehoods. You're asking a question and asking them to respond to that. And most people don't mind answering a question. It's their turn to speak. They get, but you said, what about this? All right, very good. What, why else is it often more effective to ask a question than make a statement? It can make people less defensive mm -hmm. when yep. you're wanting to listen. You're asking them a question. Now, there's different kinds of questions. Some questions can be inflammatory as well. But most of the time, if you ask someone a question genuinely, then people are more apt to answer. And sometimes you'll get the information you're looking for 
without having to <laughs> drive in and uh, extract it, but just asking questions can lead people and get people to think. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Uh, have you ever been listening to a speaker and your mind starts to drift? And he may be saying point A, point B, point C, point D, point E, point F, point G. And y'all are starting to wonder how many letters I'm going to say. <laughs> and, and you're, but when the speaker, when you have a question, what does the person, what does the other person have to do? He's got to think. They stop and think. It's easy to tune out. And in an argument, it's especially easy to tune out. If Drew and I are arguing about something, and I'm, it's my turn to speak, and I'm yada, 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 yada. And then Drew's turn to speak, yada, yada. What, what's an easy bad habit for me to fall into while Drew's speaking? Start thinking about what you're going to say next. Yeah, okay, what am I going to say next? That's not listening. So if Drew asked me a question, Scott, how would you answer this? Or what about this? I now have to think about. And that's what people often do not do when they're arguing. So quickly here in our last few minutes, give me some examples of Jesus teaching with a question. One interesting example is the parable of the Good Samaritan, in which Jesus is confronted with a question, oh, and who is my neighbor? And then he tells a story, we know the story, but he ends with the question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor? to the man who fell among the robbers. And it's interesting that his question turns the first question a little bit on its head. The man asked, who is my neighbor? And he says, who proved to be a neighbor? And again, that question would have stuck with that guy for a long time. Which of these proved to be a neighbor? And help redefine, hopefully, his original question, get him to think. And he has to answer and say, the he one who first. showed him mercy. <laughs> and then Jesus says, apply that. Very good. Give me another one. Drew or John. Uh, in Matthew 22, where Jesus is confronted with uh, the Pharisees or the disciples of the Pharisees, and they're trying to catch him in between a rock and a hard place so that they can arrest him. Um, and so they figure, you know, they come and flatter him and say, teacher, we know that you don't care what anyone thinks. And you always teach what's right and true and that type of thing and don't care about other, anyone's opinion. And they say, is it lawful for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? So the scenario that they're in is they're under Roman rule. They don't like being under Roman rule, but they've got two different groups that are with them. One that would like to not have to pay taxes to Caesar and one that is going to enforce paying taxes to Caesar. And so whatever Jesus says, if he says, yes, you should pay taxes or no, you shouldn't pay taxes, he's going to be in trouble with one group. Um, but Jesus responds with a question. He says, bring me a coin whose image is on the coin? And they say, well, Caesar's image is on the coin. So then Jesus says, give the things to Caesar, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. So it, he made them realize that the money belongs to Caesar anyway, <laughs> but he didn't just say, yeah, you need to pay your taxes to Caesar. That's the ultimate point that he made, but made them think about it and go through the process themselves. He was, and, and their goal is of course to get Jesus in trouble with the Romans and, and get him arrested. But if he had not asked a question and just started, you know, talking and say, well, 
when you stop and think about all the things that the Romans have done for us, and after all, you know, it's they that mint the money, you know, when you look at the money, you can see the image of Caesar on there, that's those who minted it, and therefore we need, that wouldn't have had near the power of saying, show me the coin. Whose picture is that? And so who has to say the word Caesar's? No, they yeah, <laughs> they, they, you know, and it's not going for, I don't want to say, you know, that's also not, and so they say, Caesars. So it also, you're, you're, it's marking progress. When they have to admit the point or part of the point, now you can start making progress. But when you're both just talking, no progress is often made. When you ask a question and the other person admits, okay, that is this. Okay, now we're making progress. And then you go further. Drew. I was trying to think of one. I was thinking of the, the woman that was caught in adultery. He doesn't really ask the question, but he implies it. Like, who is the, who, who among you without sin? Throw the first stone. And, and, and that calls for a reaction. From yeah. the, and by their refusal. To answer. <laughs> yeah. And, and so questions are just powerful. Uh, and Jesus used them a lot. Sometimes instead of, I know 10 things that I'm going to tell all these 10 things to this person. Sometimes ask a question. It may help them see something. It can also help find out what it is they think. And you know what? Sometimes what they think is not what you thought. You assume, oh, this person thinks this, so I'm going to prove this, this, this. And you spend a bunch of time proving that and find out, oh, that's not what they thought. Or sometimes they're right. You're thinking they're wrong about this, 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 but you stop and ask and they point out and you go, oh, <laughs> they're right. Listening's good. Quick to hear, slow to speak. Even in teaching, listening is good. Drew. Yeah, that, maybe that's what it was. He was asked, he asked the apostles, who do people say I am? But I was trying to anticipate or trying to figure out what was the conversation before that. There wasn't really much conversation before that. He Doesn't it just pop that out on him? He says, who do people say I am? Right. And they said, Jeremiah, one of the prophets, et cetera. Then he said, who do you say I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, son of God. And then it leads into the next yeah. conversation. Yeah. All right. I guess well, in that case, I'm sorry, but I guess in that case, he was con letting them to think of the contrast, who some are saying, and how do you contrast that with what you're saying? Maybe that's what uh, they were very they're doing. All right. Well, we are at the end of our program out of time. Um, thank you guys for your discussion and for our audience tuning in. Um, if you all have any questions or anything that you'd like us to discuss on the show, uh, you can submit that to BibleQuest.tv. Uh, and we'd be happy to go through that, go through a Bible text or answer a biblical question. Uh, and we'll be back next week, Lord willing, on Tuesday. See you all then.